But open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to continue our study on the armor of God. We're coming down to the near the end of it. And read down quickly and then we're going to finish. We're going to um, move on in one of the subjects we've been studying. Starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the deceits of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, uh, of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of this warfare, we're in a spiritual warfare, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot or put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. That's a mouthful. What we've seen in there is we are all involved in spiritual warfare. There's a natural warfare you can go through. The world certainly is involved in it in different parts of the world. But the Bible teaches us there is a spiritual warfare. There's a spirit realm, which the Bible teaches us, and then there's this natural material realm. And in, this, in the spirit realm, there is a war that's going on, and we are participates in that, participants in that war, whether we plan to or not. World War I warfare changed. It was the first time in modern in warfare where civilians became actively involved in warfare. Up until that time, most wars were fought out on a battlefield with professional soldiers. So the ones that were involved in the shooting or whatever was going on weren't shocked that they were shooting arrows or guns or whatever, whichever war it was. Things were being shot at them because they signed up for it or they were, they were, they were forced, but they knew they were in a warfare. But in World War I, the warfare was brought to cities in a major way. And so that civilians who didn't ask for it, didn't sign up for it, didn't plan on it, found themselves in a war, shooting going on around them and at them at times, and they had a choice to make. They had to wake up and realize they were in a warfare and position themselves as best they can. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes this, to awaken us and make us realize that we are not just bumping along in life, you know, going to work or whatever your issues of your life are, without realizing that what's going on in and around your life is a form of spiritual warfare. And the, the we've, as we've gone through this study, we've seen that this scripture tells us who the combatants are, tells us, first of all, there is a warfare going on, and it tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. And so your spouse, your boss, your, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your children, they're not your enemy. The enemy, Satan may use them, but they are not your enemy. We also saw with the weapons that are involved in this warfare that the weapons of God are not, they're, they're powerful, but the weapons that are used against us are deceit. And so that it's not a matter of, it's not an equal warfare as long as we're aware of who the combatants are and what's been given to us. And then we see that God has laid out for us certain armor to wear to protect us. The purpose of armor is to protect you in a battle. And as we've gone through these pieces of armor, and I've heard this taught in all kinds of ways, and most of which were true and they're valid, but I really believe what, what this armor is that Paul's talking about is literally putting God on. 
We've seen in our studies that when you come to Christ, when you're born again, God's nature is birthed in you. You have God living on the inside, but just because he's living on the inside of you doesn't mean he's affecting the outside of you. And so we've seen as we've gone through the belt of truth and the, the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of feet, uh, the, feet of, the, the, the shoes of peace, that, um, that, that really is putting on the character of God. And when you put the character of God on, he is your defense. He is your protection. So these are not literal pieces of armor. These are just characteristics of God. And in some ways, they're just other ways of expressing the fruit of the Spirit that you see in the book of Galatians. So we're now down in verse 17 to the helmet of salvation. And we've talked about this several, for several weeks now. And uh, I, I shared with you that in the Greek, literally, this, when it says take up, it's a different word than other places where it tells you to take something. This literally means to receive something that's already given to you. And, and the word helmet literally means to wrap something around your head or your mind. So if you put those two together, what this is teaching us is that, that the helmet of salvation is to receive or to receive your salvation as something wrapped around your head, and obviously it is a point of salvation, a point of protection. The word salvation here means more than just going to heaven. It means the complete deliverance, the wholeness is the best word. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew equivalent of it is shalom, which is often translated peace. But it means much more than peace. It means wholeness. And the interesting thing is that the, the Greek word for peace in the New Testament is irene, which if you trace that back to its roots, literally means to knit something back together again, which is another way of expressing wholeness. So salvation, in most cases, and especially here, is referring to being made whole. That means being delivered from anything that's causing you not to be whole, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual. Jesus on the cross died for you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Because to not be whole in one area is to not be whole. God doesn't do things part way. He delivers wholly. Now, whether we receive all of that and walk in all of that may be a different matter. But he has paid for and provided that for us. And so what we begin to see is here there's a connection between that wholeness, that deliverance, the fullness of that salvation uh, impacting your life and something about our head. Well, we discovered there's something located in your head, hopefully, between your ears, and it's your mind. We've talked about the fact that in your, in your head, between your ears physically, is an organ called the brain. But your brain and your mind are not the same thing. Your mind is a part of your soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And when you leave this earth, your soul goes with your spirit. Your brain stays here. Your brain is an organ that your mind uses. And so, so this is talking about your mind. And we talked about the fact that the Bible says a lot about how we think. Now, in, in, in some of the circles that some of us have traveled in, in the charismatic, word of faith circles, whatever they are, you almost think that they believe that we are to throw our mind out. Because it's as if, you know, your education and learning to think things through. And my background, as most of you know, is I, for 20, for 20 years, was a lawyer. 
So my mind was trained to think in a very analytical way. It already functioned in that way generally, and, and, and it was just developed along those circles. So my mind has been trained to think very critically in the technical sense of the word, not critical about you know, being against somebody, but thinking things through precisely. And, and kind of when I got saved and the people we were around I almost thought there was something wrong with that until I began to read my Bible. And the Bible says a whole lot about how you think and what you think and what you think about. And I believe that's what it's talking about here. So we've looked over in Romans 12, so turn there, because it certainly talks about what you think. Romans chapter 12. We're going to just go in verse 2, and then we're going to go off and just cover a couple of things, and then I want to take us to another level, and then we'll, we'll bring it to a close for tonight. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Notice there's something weird to do. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And when you come to Christ and you receive Him, God's, you receive God's Spirit in you. That's how you are born again. And that part of you, God does. When you call on Christ, when you receive Him by faith, God does the rest. He births in you His nature, takes your old nature out, puts a new nature in you. God does that part. But that's only one-third of you. That's your spirit man. There are two other parts to you. There's a soul and there's your body. As I've said a few minutes ago, your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then you've got your body. Verse 1 is telling us that we have to do something with our body. God did something with our spirit, but we have to do something with our body, which is to present it a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Verse 2 now tells us we've got to do something with our mind. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about that last time. The word conformed means, it's, there's two different words. What we're told not to do is to be conformed to this world. The word conformed is a word in Greek that means to be pressured from the outside like a mold that pressures, like they pressure coins into, into a certain image on the outside. We talked about that before. That's an outside pressure that, that changes the outward appearance of something. So we're told not to allow... And the word, the word world here is a word that means the systems of this world. It means the way the world thinks, the way the world reacts, the way the world responds, the way the world's systems operate, because there is a system to this world. If you've ever gone to a new job, into a new place of employment, you'll find one of the things we do instinctively is we try to find out what the unwritten rules are. They may have given you a handbook, that told you what the written rules are, but then they're unwritten rules. You know, you you know, you, you don't you don't talk to certain people, you know, or you you, you know you whatever. There's just there are customs and things like that which are kind of unwritten rules, but it's the way they operate. And so you begin to learn what they are, and you say, you don't you know you don't talk to that person that way, or we don't wear those clothes here, or whatever it is. You begin to learn by you know watching what other people do, so that you can fit in. And our, our human nature is we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want to belong. But what Paul's telling us here is we cannot allow ourselves to belong to the world and the way the world operates. So therefore, we are to not be conformed. We're not to allow the pressures of this world. And the world is under pressure right now, and it's exerting pressure. 
and it's exerting it against the church and it's going to exert it more in the days and months and years ahead if the Lord doesn't come back before. Because there's going to be, there's pressure on us to think the way the, think, the world thinks and to talk the way the world talks and to react the way the world reacts. We talked about that last time. But then he tells us what we are to do, which is to be transformed. Different word. This word literally means, if you study it out, to take what's on the inside and bring it to the outside so that it shows. So this verse is telling us that we're to do, we're not not to allow the pressures of this life, the pressures of the world, to change the way we act on the outside. Talk, think, dress, whatever it is. And there's tremendous peer pressure to do that. Instead, we're to be transformed, allow what God put on the inside of us when we receive Christ to bring that to the outside. And notice the way we do that. It is by the renewing of our mind. Your mind and my mind is so important. It is a gateway, first of all. It's a gate that determines what goes down inside of you and what comes back out. I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about your heart, your inner nature. The things you listen to and the things you watch and the people you talk to and the people you are around, all, every, everything going on around you right now is input into you and it's stored up there. Have you ever had the experience of smelling something, whether it was a cologne or a perfume, and it immediately brought a memory back to you? A year ago, I don't know where I was, but I smelled, somebody had a, woman had a, had a perfume on, and it was the perfume my grandmother used to wear, and she's been gone for almost 30 years. And, and, but immediately, I could remember being with her. That means the experience of that odor is still stored back in there. So everything you see, everything you hear, Everything you smell, all that your senses are picking up all the time, that's going into your mind somewhere and being processed, stored, dealt with somehow. And, and what you believe, your system, your, your world system, what you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about other people, all of those things affect what gets in you. Right now, for every person that's in this room that's hearing this right now, different amounts in different ways are getting down into your spirit. All based on what you already believe when you came in here. So if I were here starting to tell you something, if, if, I, if, I, if I stood up right now and just started telling you, you know, that Jesus taught hate and he's teaching us to hate one another, something crazy like that, some of you are going to start praying under your breath for me, (laughs) but you're not going to receive it. Why? Because it's going to bounce up against what you've been taught and what you believe. So your mind's not going to let that in. Won't even, I mean, it'll get in your brain, but it's not going to get down in your heart because it it doesn't line up with the filter that your mind is. Well, that's good when what you're hearing is things that are wrong. But the problem is when the truth of the Word of God is trying to get in you and you've been trained or raised in certain belief systems that don't line up with that, it will have, you'll have trouble letting that get in. And it's the Word of God that transforms us. It's the Word of God that changes us. 
It's the word of God because it's the Paul says in Romans 1, it is the power of God, Romans 1, 16, unto salvation. The word of God changes you. It affected Jesus. <gasps> it affected Jesus, yes. That's how he found out who he was. You said, wait a minute, I thought, you know, I thought he just knew who he was. Mm-mm. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and understanding. Now, don't pick up rocks to throw at me. To grow in something means you have to have gone from one level to another level. He never sinned. He didn't have bad thoughts, and that's not what I'm saying. But he discovered who he was in the process of growing, and the way he discovered it was by reading this word talking about the Messiah, and there would be a resonance in him. Ooh, that sounds like me. He began to identify with this in him. The reason I share that with you is the same process you and I go through. That's how you discover who you are when you've come to Christ is by reading this. We talked last time that it says that it's a mirror. James says if you, if you, if you, if you read the word, if you hear the word, but you're not a doer of the word, you're like a man that looks in the mirror and forget, when he walks away, he forgets the image that he saw in the mirror because it, unless you begin to act it out, it begins, the image of it begins to fade away. This word is that mirror. It's the only mirror that you look in that doesn't reflect back what you put in front of it. When you get dressed in the morning and you stand in front of that mirror, wherever it is you stand in front of, and you comb your hair or whatever it is you fix, some of us have more hair to comb than others, you fix it, you know, and, and you get, you know, whatever it is you're doing in front of that mirror, whatever, what, what that mirror sees is what it tells you, <laughs> good or bad. But this mirror is the only one that reflects back to you God's vision of you. And the more you look into this, the more you meditate on this, what it does is it awakens in you an awareness of who you already are in Christ. But if you don't renew your mind to this, you'll continue to think the way the world thinks. So that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He says we're transformed. The Word of God doesn't jump on you and change what you look like. What it does is it awakens you on the inside and it encourages you, empowers you to begin to act that out. And so we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now turn with me to Isaiah 55. We've talked about this before, but I want to go back and look at this because I want to show you something. It's an obvious thing, but I want to show you scriptures. And then I want to show you some examples of this. Isaiah 55. Now, this is God talking. We're going to look in verse 8. For my thoughts, so God has thoughts, are not your thoughts, so we have thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. So God's telling us, that he doesn't think the way we think. Aren't you glad about that? And his ways, now what are ways? They're, 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 they're attitudes, their responses, reactions, ways you conduct yourself, and they can be very subtle ways. But, but, and they come from thoughts. And so God is saying, I have thoughts, 
and you have thoughts, but they're not the same. I have ways of doing things, and you have ways of doing things, but they're not the same. Now, that doesn't mean we stay there. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So the process of renewing our mind is, in essence, learning to no longer think the way we were taught to think, instead to learn to think the way God thinks about situations. That's, in essence, what renewing the mind is. It's changing how you think. And I've shared with you before, when I went to law school, what I was taught in law school was not what the law was. You're taught to think in a different pattern of thinking. And I used the example before, and some of you may or may not have been here, but I asked somebody, I went to like a Starbucks one time where you, you, you know, you'd give them all these in information about the order, the size, the temperature, you know, I want a medium, whatever it is, you know. And I heard, watched different people in the line give them different instructions, and they came out with the right coffee. It used to be simple. You just want coffee, regular, whatever it was. Now there are all these variations. And I asked them, how do you remember that? And they said, because we were trained, no matter what order you give things to us, we were trained the order in which to hear them. In other words, they renewed their mind of how to process whatever information or order you give them. They learned how to put it into an order so that it could have meaning to them when they went to carry it out. That's, in simplest terms, what renewing your mind is. It's learning how to think differently about situations that come up in your life, learning how to think differently about yourself, learning how to think differently about each other, learning how to think differently about God, different than the way the world has trained us to think. And in some cases, that world could have been the church. Because some of us were raised in churches that taught us a certain way to think that may not necessarily line up with what this book says. That's why this book has to be your final authority not just, quote-unquote, what your church teaches, even this church. If this church teaches things that don't line up with this word, then don't do them. This word is the authority, not this church, quote-unquote, all right? But we do our best we can to have it line up. All right, so that's in essence what renewing the mind is. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at some examples of that. So to do that, go back to Romans 12, because he goes on and discusses this, basically, And notice in verse 2, we didn't cover this, we talked about it last time briefly. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, but be changed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. So whether we do this or not determines whether something's going to be proven or not. Whether we prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Talked last time about the fact that when you're born again, God puts his nature in you. And if the enemy can't stop God from doing that, then his backup plan is to keep that change from affecting you or anybody else. And God's desire, God's plan for your life is for what he's done in you to come out of you in such a way that it affects other people and they can begin to be affected at impact as they literally see God in you. It's interesting because when in, in, in the book of Acts, when, when, um, when Peter and John were arrested, 
early on in the book of Acts. They're arrested for, for preaching the gospel and, and they're, they're brought before the authorities and they say, look, because they've just seen a man healed who was lame from, his, from birth. And they you know, say, well, what authority do you this by the name of Jesus? And so they have their own side counsel and they come back and say, look, okay, you can go back. We're going to release you. Um, but just don't preach in that, just don't do anything in that name anymore. And, and Peter's answer, this is the same Peter who only a few weeks ago was, was denied Jesus three times, stands up and says to them, you know, look, whether, whether you forbid us to use that name or not, you know, you decide, but we can't help but declare what we've seen and heard. Hallelujah. And there's comment about them later, we could tell that they had been with Jesus. They could tell something about them. And, and, and the comment was they called them Galileans. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but back in those days, that was not a compliment. That was basically saying they're hicks. They're from the country. Because this, this is like being in New York City, in Jerusalem. This is a, this is a sophisticated uh, uh, cultural center. And, and, and they're saying these Galileans, we can tell that they've been with Jesus. And so there was something about them that was coming out of them now that hadn't been coming out before that was affecting people around them. In fact, that happened to Paul, and, and they began to comment about Paul later on as this is the people that turned the world upside down. And so they were affecting people around them. Why? Because they were transformed, changed. And Paul learned how to do this by the renewing of the mind, the way we think. So the mind is not only a gateway that controls how much of this word and the truth gets in you, but gates work both ways. It also determines how much gets out of you, how much of God that's in you comes out. And I shared at the end of last time that most of us, I'm sure, have had this experience. I mean, I didn't ask for a raising of hands because I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, but but we've all had this experience when, when God's Spirit has prompted us to do something. And it may not be a big thing. Like, you, know, you know how to call somebody, this person. You know, they've been on your heart. Or, or you know, maybe, maybe I ought to, you know, take a cake to my neighbor. Or there's somebody that's maybe not been the most pleasant person at work to you and, and just sort of prompts you on the inside. You know, you ought to, you ought to do something nice for them. And, you know, and the moment that happens, you know that's down in here. And, and so, but instead of just immediately doing it, we think about it. And so we say, well, okay, but I'll do that at the end of the day. It's not convenient right now. And have you ever noticed the more you think about it, the less you do it? The moment that hits you, you knew it was the Holy Spirit telling you to do something. And the fact that you, because ne- but before you do it, it's got to go through your brain, which tells your hand to go pick up the phone or it tells your body to now begin to act on what you saw and you hear because your spirit man can't go do that. It takes your body, that's why he said present your body a living sacrifice. Your body's the very agent that carries this out but your body's not going to do something your will won't tell it to do. And so you get this prompting in here, you know in the moment, it's, it's right, it's God, but, but because it's got to go through your mind, if your mind doesn't line up with this, then it will begin to talk you out of it, and you know what happens, you know, by the end of the day you've kind of forgotten about it, and then tomorrow it's a memory to you, and you just never get around to doing it. So your mind knew it was God and stopped it from coming out. 
So the reason, one of the reasons your mind is so important is it literally determines what gets down in your spirit and what comes back out of you and gets acted out. So that's why it's so critical. And so we're looking here at some examples now of what Paul talks about. Remember we just read in Isaiah, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. All right. So let's go down and just look at some examples here because some of them will confront us a little bit. So let's go uh, look in verse... um, Oh, let's go look and let's jump right in it (laughs) instead of leading up to it. Verse 14. This is how God thinks and this is how we're to think. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now let's ask this question. Is that the way the world thinks? That's not the way the systems are. The, the, the world works on the system, do unto others before they do it unto you. <laughs> it's getting back, getting even, protecting myself, promoting myself. It's all about me and we can dress it up nice and pretty so it looks good in the church we can even be nice and spiritual about it but the reality is we're really protecting and promoting me and you know where that started it started in the garden of eden because in the garden of eden the ultimate temptation that satan came to eve with god had said god had said so they had god's thoughts They had God's way of doing things. God said, you can enjoy this entire garden. Have at it. In fact, some translations said he commanded them to enjoy it. There's only one thing they couldn't do. They couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Satan comes to tempt them, his temptation is to get them to challenge the way God does things. And by saying God's trying to keep something from you, God knows that if you eat of that tree, that you'll be like him, and he's trying to keep something from you. So Satan is trying to poison her mind and change her mental image of what God is like. You see that? And he's still trying to do the same thing today. He's trying to tell her God's stingy, God's holding things back from you, God's going to try to you, whatever it is, but God's holding something back from you so that he has something he could have given you, but he's keeping it from you to keep you under control. And, 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 and because she listened to him, we've talked about this before, because she listened to him, And she answered him. She gave him a voice in that garden that he was not entitled to. Okay. Now, the reason that's in the Bible is so we can learn from that. So we now live in a world that speaks that same voice. And it can be alluring and it can be attractive, just as it was to her, because it'll make you feel sorry for yourself. It'll say, poor me. I mean, we live in a world where generations are raised up that think they're entitled to things. Just because we're breathing, that means we're entitled for the government to take care of us. And if not, we're going to get upset. 
It's a whole way of thinking. We are being programmed, and it's well on the way, to eliminate God from the entire system. Why, why, do, why does the world system want to get rid of God? Because when God's not there, we don't ever have to give an account. So I can live my life without ever feeling a conscience that I'm going to have to account to anybody. See, I don't get into arguments with people whether God's real. They're going to find out. I mean, I'll share the gospel with them, but I'm not going to get mad at them or upset. I'm not going to, because they're going to, we're going to find out. So why debate something about that? But my point is this. So he's saying it. This is God's way. This is the way God thinks. And I love the Bible because it, it talks to us where we live. I know there's theology in here, but theology, if it doesn't apply to where you live, it's, it's for the schools. It's not for life. But this book is real. So, so it talks about, now what do you do? And most of these are cases where something's done to us and it's how we respond. But if you don't program this computer up here ahead of time of how you're going to respond, your flesh will react. Because it's already programmed. Your flesh is programmed how to react. All right, so here's an example. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same, what? Mind towards one another. That doesn't mean we all agree on everything, but it's towards one another. We have a mental attitude towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. It's all talking about the kinds of thoughts that we have. But let's just go back to bless those who persecute you. Just, Just take that one. Because we've also seen before, we'll see that you see that that's in in um, in Matthew chapter five. He talks about that. In fact, all of this is talking about how we respond or react to situations. Verse seventeen: Repay no one evil for evil. How many people? No one. Don't repay evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give give place to wrath. That doesn't mean let it loosen you, but don't, don't give into it. For as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, that's not the way we normally think. We normally think because we've been trained. This computer's been programmed. You better take care of yourself. We live in a world that promotes that way of doing things. But that's not how God thinks. If God thought that way, we'd all be in trouble. What if God thought that way about you or God thought that way about me? Have we ever done anything evil to him? Have we ever ever used his name in vain? You understand, using his name in vain doesn't just mean swearing. In vain means for no purpose. Isn't that what in vain means? Vain means no purpose. So to use his name for no purpose, oh my God. unless you're calling on your God, is to use his name in, in, in vain. Hmm. Isn't that what vain means? It doesn't say don't use his name in cursing. It says 
Don't use the Lord's name in vain. In fact, one of the reasons that the name of Jesus doesn't have more authority to us personally is because we don't respect it more when we use it. I'm not talking about swearing. We just, we end all our prayers in Jesus' name without thinking. So in our mind, it's the way you end a prayer. Which means we're not thinking of his name of having any esteem or value to us. Oh, sitting in church we understand. I'm talking to me as much as you. Sitting in church we understand that. But we use his name so casually and loosely that when he comes to exercising of authority in his name, it has that same, in our mind it does. See, it's your mind we're talking about tonight. So if in the way you use his name, it's casual all the time, when you go to use it in a situation of authority, your mind doesn't know the difference. Because it hears you. So you program your own computer. And the greatest thing, the greatest source of the program of this computer is this opening right beneath your nose. And we'll talk about that down the road. So here we see a tremendous challenge because not only does the world tell us you better get back at them. If you don't protect yourself, who's going to protect yourself? And yet God's whole way of thinking, that's why people struggle with in Matthew 5 when Jesus says, I tell you, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, give them the other. And does that mean we're supposed to go around doing that all the time? What he's talking about there is the underlying attitude of standing up and protecting myself, promoting my self because on the cross Jesus didn't promote himself he literally turned the other cheek he allowed them to strike him and so what he's talking about here is a way of thinking where you don't protect remember we're talking about the armor of God we're talking about if we do things God's way he protects us so when you're protecting yourself when you're striking back when you're asserting yourself in those situations God can't because you're doing it for him But when you respond his way, which if we see the end of chapter 12, is do not be be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he did? He, He did the ultimate example of that. He overcame sin. He destroyed the power of sin by an ultimate act of good, an ultimate sacrifice. As the church, we're not in this world to promote ourselves. As a church, we're really in this world to die, whatever that may mean, to die to who we are, ourselves. See, we want God to fill us up and be filled with the Spirit, but He can't fill up space you're occupying basic principle of physics. Two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. To the extent that you're holding on to yourself, that's an area he can't occupy. So we've got to be willing, and this is really what this is talking about. Me, my, mine, protecting myself, promoting myself, advancing myself. There's nothing wrong with advancement. There's nothing wrong with planning and achieving things. There's nothing wrong with that. What he's talking about here is this inner attitude that promotes me first, that protects me first, that is looking at... Because that's what you're... when, when, When we start acting different from God, that's at the root of it. It's selfishness. It's me, my, mine. 
And the real peace, the real freedom comes as I die to who I am and allow him to take over. And the man that wrote this understood that because he wrote, I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's, this, is a, this is an exciting message, isn't it? To hear about that. But it is. Because the reason it's not exciting to us is because we haven't renewed our mind to think God's thoughts. So we hear something like this, and inside, oh, we smile in church, but inside we recoil. Because it's foreign to the way we think, and that's right. Because we need to renew the way we think. So when a situation comes up and someone comes after you or someone challenges you, I don't challenge is the best word, but somebody's doing something against you, whether it's intentional or not, when you renew you renewed your mind, the first question is not what do I want to do, but what does the word of God say that God would have me do in this situation? I'm beginning to ask myself, what would he do? What would he say in this situation? Because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And his ways are higher than my ways. He responds in love. He doesn't put himself first. He puts the needs of other people first. And when we do that, then we're stepping into him. He's operating. We allow him to operate through us. Remember we're talking about spiritual warfare. And he now becomes our covering. He now becomes our protection. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty. Where is that secret place? It's walking with him. It's doing what he would do. It's saying what he would say. And you can only do that if you learn to think what he thinks. And that's one of the reasons this word is given to us. Next week, we'll begin to look at how do we renew our mind. Because there are some very practical, simple things we can learn to do that if you'll do them, you will learn to do, to, to, to think the way he did. I'll, I'll leave you with this clue. Most mornings when I get up in my devotion time, one of the things I do is I set my mind ahead of time of how I'm going to handle cert- certain situations. We, we flew back from Texas last night, and I was thinking because because uh, uh, we hit some bumpy weather, and I was thinking, I was just kind of, kind of dozing in and out, this pilot's had to go through training in a simulator. And in that simulator, they not only teach them how to fly, but they'll have sudden emergencies come up, like engine flare out. And they're in the nice, safe simulator, but from what I understand, they're so, they're so effective that these pilots come out soaking wet with perspiration because of what they just went through. Why do they do, why do, they do that? Because they're renewing their mind. They're training them how to handle the situation before it comes up so that when it comes up, their mind immediately kicks in was this is what I am to do to the point that their emotions don't overcome them. You don't want a pilot who's panicked when an emergency comes up, do you? You want one who's been trained in the same way we can train ourselves or train our minds how to handle situations in advance so that when it comes up, we respond the way God responds and not react the way the world reacts. And therefore, God becomes our protector and and we see the victory.